welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jansen. My guest today is Hugh Culver. He teaches experts the business of speaking. He has incidentally started five companies and is the author of a book called Give Me a Break. You can find more at hughculver.com. But today we are going to talk specifically about speaking. And in fact, we're going to dive into an article. In fact, this is this is going to be like an audio version of a blog post almost because he wrote a tremendous article uh, talking about the, the nine ways that speakers or nine hacks, I think it was the actual uh, title that speakers can use to, to really be more effective. And I just thought it was a great package uh, of advice for speakers to, uh, to hear. So, Hugh, uh, thanks for joining me. Hey, John. Uh, thanks for the invitation. I'm really excited to be here. So, speaking, you know, it's always been big business because, I mean, even if you're just speaking to one person selling something, uh, you, you could be better at it. But it seems to me like... Uh, the everybody wants to do a TED talk now, or everybody wants to be a paid speaker, and there are a lot of programs uh, around speaking. Uh, is there is this just me noticing it, or is there seems to be uh, this this huge surge in people wanting to be professional speakers? No, I think you're. I think you are seeing a trend. Uh, you know, in part, we've got 90 million baby boomers in North America that have got a lot of expertise and probably the most educated generation in history, and so they've got a lot to share. Yeah. So for uh, for many boomers, this is a wonderful way to make a, uh, extra income or, in fact, to do after they're retired. But also, I think people are realizing that it's an amazingly powerful way to broaden your circle of influence, uh, mm-hmm. to even you know grow your mailing list, uh, right. but also to grow your revenues. Yeah, and I think this whole idea of authority that, you know, online, if, if, if it's a really crowded space, people are going to default to the person that they've heard of or that other people are talking about. And so it's certainly one of those elements in building personal brand authority. Absolutely. So yesterday I gave a speech. There's 350 people in the audience. And for those 90 minutes, they assume I'm the expert in productivity because I am the one on the conference agenda. I'm the guy they brought in. And so right. by the you know, very nature of the fact I, I'm wearing the microphone, you know, it kind of goes along with it. Yeah. And that, as you point out, that's pretty hard to do online. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's. what I want to do, and I suggested we do before we jumped on here, was that I'm going to kind of throw out each of these nine hacks and we'll go whatever that divided up by the amount of time we have. Uh, okay. We'll kind of riff on each of these and, and kind of give some of my observations. So the first one is nail the timing. And I think what you're really saying there is there's, there's kind of a formula for how much, you know, the stages, so to speak, of how you'd walk somebody through. So, so to set that one up for us. Great. So I, I can classify the types of speakers that are out there in the world, John, in terms of there's the celebrities, uh, there's the people that paid for free because they are either an internal speaker within the organization or they are some kind of an industry expert that has other kind of agenda. And then there's me. And I'm a pro speaker. So for in, in the case of people like me that are professionals that earn part or all of their income, um, they're getting paid basically by the minute. And so it's really important that you divide your time up really wisely. Uh, and so I have a simple formula, which is 35, 50, 15. 35% is actually the setup. And this is getting people comfortable with listening to me, but also understanding that I understand their pain. Mm. 50% is delivering the goods. This is the bullet points that the event planner paid for. And then 15% at the end of my time is used to summarize, wrap up, to sell something from the back of the room, but also to make people feel really good about what they've learned. So 35%, 50%, 15 
And so that that formula, of course, we could we could spend the whole show just talking about that formula. Right. I suspect, but that that you know, as you're designing a talk, that formula has to be kind of the template, doesn't it? Ab- absolutely. And we're going to get to this in, in one of the future, the, the one of the other the points, John. But I used to make the mistake because I came out of the training world that it was all about content. Yeah. And yeah. it took me a long time to understand that people sitting in an audience, for, particularly for a keynote, where they're not really there to take notes, yeah. but that kind of an audience, they, they can only absorb so much. So uh, less content but delivered better is going to actually have better results. Well, and, and I think a lot of what you're talking about when you talk about the setup is is – if you don't put the context you know, for the content, Correct. it might fall flat as well. So right. um, I, I've age, age, age old advice, start with a story, but um, not everybody does that, period, but also not everybody does that well. Oh, it's so important. You know, there's research from Stanford that says that we are going to retain a story six to seven times more than any other content. I would say it's probably like 20 times more. I hear people, you know, five, 10 years later talking about my Tim Horton story, my Porsche story, talking about my Antarctic story. And so the point is that I don't want them to remember the story, but I want them to remember the lesson that it was attached to the story. So when you start with a story, what happens is immediately people lean in because they want to know how it ends. It's human nature. We've been doing this for millennia. So your story does not have to be incredibly funny. It does not have to be necessarily incredibly profound, but it should be something they haven't heard before. And ideally that's personal that, and also that's relevant to what's coming next. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a key point too, because a lot of people, you know, they've told a good joke or they've told a good story that people laugh about and it's funny and they think, well, okay, now they like me. But there's no connection to what they're going to now talk about, and it, and I and I think they kind of lose any value there. Sure, uh, but I, you know, and I have seen I have seen you know even economists, believe it or not, you know, with some throwaway humor, and yeah, it yeah, just kind yeah. of breaks the ice. But they better get onto the meat pretty quickly, yeah. because because most people in the audience, you know, they respect they they understand. Listen, you've only got so much time for my with my attention. And so, again, as a professional speaker, I need to remember that I'm being paid for some kind of results. And so I use the story very strategically at the beginning. I, I mean, I'm not a comedian like some of our friends. And so what's comfortable for me is to tell a story about something that happened to me. And it's a great way for my nerves to settle down, but also for the audience to warm up to me. Yeah, it's very – typically a story could be very humanizing. Sure. Um, so – Use fewer, fewer slides. I know when I first got started, I, <laughs> I wanted to have lots of slides because I didn't, I didn't want to rehearse. Right. Um, and if I had slides, I had it all up there in front of me, and then I, you know, I typically find myself rushing through the last twenty slides. Right, and this is, you know, it's kind of a crutch because, you know, quite frankly, it's easier to make a bunch of slides than it is to get better at speaking. And I've certainly gone down that road many times. When I was preparing that article that you, you talked about, WP Curve, I interviewed Scott Stratton, who I know we both know. And, um, you know, Scott's a very, very successful pro, pro speaker. And he says, the power is not in the point, you know, sorry, the power is not the point. The PowerPoint is not the point. People aren't paying to see fancy PowerPoint. Uh, so what I recommend is that you have um, as few slides as absolutely possible to be a reference point to your message, but to not replace your message. So you should have no more than four bullets on a slide. Each bullet should have no more than eight words. And you should use large font, like 32 point or larger. And you're much better off to use that as a great anchor, a reminder of where you're at in your talk, uh, as opposed to anything else. If it starts to look like it's replacing your talk or duplicating your talk, you're going to pull the audience away from you. So 
you know, it, it's, it depends on the, the nature of the talk and how much time the person has, but also their style. But you're always, always, always going to be better off to go to a black screen than to add more slides. Yeah, it, um, you know, it's, it's painful, isn't it, to sit and have somebody say, okay, um, today I'm going to read you my slides. Or, or to turn their head, and then <laughs> right, right, right. they're actually reading from the screen. You know, <laughs> right, right. I mean, there's nothing worse because now obviously we're all supposed to look at the screen, exactly. and that's not what we're there for. So make them move, and I, I see right. people that are are pretty good at this, and and this is a uh, this is, has to be intentional too. Oh, I, I, this is the one thing I'll, you know, I can absolutely guarantee any speaker or anyone that wants to get into speaking that's listening to this podcast, if they just did this one thing, they'll stand out from the crowd, but they'll also be more memorable. And it's very simple. Uh, about every 10 to 12 minutes, give people a reason to engage. So they move from being a passive listener to doing something kinesthetically. So, for example, a simple thing is to write something down or to do some simple exercise, even if it's a notepad from the hotel, um, or to turn to the person next to them. I usually give them 90 seconds with very explicit instructions to talk about what I just covered. Yeah. Um, you know, even something where they stand up and they talked, even you know, they could easily have sat down and talked, but the fact that they stood up moves the energy. And here's what happens, John, every time you do that, you have 100% participation. Yep. Once you practice that, you have 100% participation. And in every room that I speak at, I always remember there's two audiences. Um, there's the, or, or, you know, really there's the delegates in the room, but there's also my event planner. And mm -hmm. I want the event planner who wrote the check to see that I could get 100% participation right. because... Most other speakers don't do it that way, and so it's a great way for me to stand out. But it's also it's good for the delegates. It makes them pay attention. Yeah, and I think, I think it's a great way to anchor points that you've made. I mean, you know, we all know that if you take some action, if you repeat it, if you write it down, uh, you're, you're more likely to remember it. Sure. Um, this one, I think, is tough for people because they either you know, get this part wrong or they just are afraid, <laughs> you know, scared to death, and that's be funny. I know, I know, and you know, um, I gave a speech a couple of years ago at a at a speakers conference, and um, and I was approached afterwards by a well known speaker, and he said, "You know what? You're really funny." And I thought, "Well, thank you very much," but I also thought, "I'm not actually like I my wife wouldn't say I'm very funny, but but the fact is that um, it doesn't take a lot." To actually get an audience going. Uh, so for example, some speakers will use a funny cartoon. Some people will use a funny, you know, video clips um, that you're licensed to use, by the way. Um, but it doesn't have to be something hilariously funny. But if there's any way that you can just simply, and I mean respectfully, pull some humor out of what you're talking about. And a really safe thing to, to use as humor, John, of course, is self-effacing humor. So where you've kind of done something a little bit embarrassing. So for example, you know, I, I might give an example of, um, uh, you know, talk about my wife cutting down all of the shrubberies or whatever in the fall in our backyard. And then I, I turn to the audience, and I say, well, you know, how would I have done the job? You know, so what she, what she does is she cuts it down and leaves it on the ground. And so right away, I've got all the guys paying attention because I say, okay, guys, I asked them, how would you have done the job? And they all say, well, we would have finished the job. And I asked them, okay, well, what would it be like if I went in the kitchen and, and said, hey, honey, you know, thanks for cleaning, you know, up the shrubs, but I noticed you left them, you know, right away I have the whole audience laughing because they can see that's a really stupid thing for me to do. So I don't have to be funny. I just have to point out stuff that's naturally funny. You, you know, and obviously you have to be careful with this, but I always find that, that if you can find something out, a little sort of behind the scenes knowledge about an industry uh, or something that the group or, or group itself, you know, that they, you know, they like right. to laugh at themselves too. If you, if you can deliver that uh, carefully. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, get social proof. Okay. 
So, so m- most listeners would have heard of Robert Cialdini, the University of uh, Arizona professor that wrote Influence, which is a really uh, wonderful, groundbreaking book worth reading where he's identified social influencers that are universal. And one of them is social proof. And so the idea is that when a lot of people do one thing, um, other people think that must be a good thing. So the example that's often used is you go into a town you've never been in before, you're looking for a restaurant, the one that has the most cars in front of it, you're probably going to be more likely to go to because you assume that's proof that it's good. That's called social proof. And the same thing uh, in my speech. And so I strategically, halfway through, I did this again yesterday, halfway through is I turn to the audience and I pause and I say, two, I ask two questions. Um, are you enjoying this? And right away I say, and are you learning something? And immediately I get everybody applauding because they are. I know it's a, it's a good segue point. I know that they've just had a great lesson. I know that they're enjoying themselves. So are you enjoying yourself and are you learning something? So that's social proof. Now what happens, John, is if there's like 10 people in the back of the room and they're not quite sure, they're going to join in in the applause because they don't want to be left out. And so then I do it before my close. And in particular, if I'm selling something actually back of room, like my online digital course, um, or previous to that, I used to sell books, I would always ask those two questions again. Are you enjoying yourself, and did you learn something? And I get 100% of people plotting, and now then I ask them to consider buying the product. And so it's just a simple way to ensure that I have everybody on board. Yeah, I notice um, uh, speakers that are really good at if there's a Q&A period at the end. And if if one person doesn't answer the question, nobody else. Wants, you know, everybody's afraid to do that. But you know, a couple of people get up there, they get the ball rolling, and everybody wants to do it because it's okay right. then. Um, connect with the audience. Okay, so this is this one's a little bit more, um, I suppose, subtle because it really is more of getting some empathy with your audience and also getting the audience to trust you. So before I go to any presentation, if I can and it's appropriate, I interview delegates. That's a great way for me to start to warm up the audience. They tend to tell their friends at it, that are coming to the event that I took the time to call. When I uh, arrive at the event, I arrive early so that I can so that I can be with them at the uh, the event that's the night before, or I have my meal with them in the morning and I'll sit at different tables as I complete my breakfast. Like sometimes I'll sit at four different tables as I finish my little breakfast because it's a chance for me to meet them. But also when I get on stage, I want to make sure that when I got on stage, I look sort of like them, but a little bit better. (laughs) So I don't want to look different. You know, another small thing is don't use stories. If you're, if you're traveling a lot for your work, don't use a lot of those stories because they probably can't relate to that. So me talking about taxis and hotels and waiting in airports is just going to make me look more different than them. So connecting is all about being sort of like them, but sort of one step ahead of them in terms of some sort of insights and knowledge. Because after all, that's that's what you're here is. You're here to share something that's going to help them. Yeah, and I I've, I've do all of those practices as well. And I always find that you know then you're able to halfway through your speech, you know, I was talking to Betty earlier and, right. you know, and it just really, yes. you know, you've got that friend. Well, and, you know. and John, to that point, right? So there's Betty in the audience and all you got to do is make eye contact with her and yes. she's going to be all smiles because right. you've already got some, some rapport going there. Yeah. Um, this is a tough one for a lot of people because I think a lot of people get that 60, 90, you know, 120 minute speech and they're like, oh crap, I need, you know, I need lots of content. Um, but you find probably the more you do this, Delivering less content better mm-hmm. is, right. a far, is a far better approach. Yes, it is. And, and of course, you know, there's a happy balance there. You know, we've both seen speakers that we've probably felt like they didn't deliver enough. And we felt 
probably other speakers that let's name just, a few of them right now right <laughs> but then you know then the said, you know it was overboard it was sort of like you know motor mouth and so what i've discovered is that if i really want to be effective i have to have the event planner silently applauding me in the corner of the room and i have to have the delegates actually learn something they can use that's sim- that's pretty basically it event planner is happy delegates have something that they can use and the reality is, and this has been, you know, there's a famous study by Ebenhaus, a German psychologist, and, and he, you know, back in the 19th century mapped it out and he said, within 24 hours, we've lost 70% of whatever we've learned. So we know that people are going to retain very little of what we say. So it only makes sense to deliver less content, but deliver it really, really well. So here's a very simple formula, and it spells the word SLAP, S-L-A-P. First of all, you start off with a story. So every time you're going to make a point, a lesson, you give a little story, some kind of a segue, something that is going to get their attention that's relevant. Next is you go into your lesson. So here's something that you can use. This is a way to get to your goals faster and better. Then you go into application. That's the A. Application means here's a bunch of ways you can do it. Here's some examples. So for example, you can do this on LinkedIn or you can do this on Twitter. Or in my case, I'd say in your office, you can do this. Or with your employees, you can do this. And then we move into P, which is participation. So participation is that's when you get them to do something. So write that down. Turn to your partner. So story, lesson, application, and then participation. And if you just repeat that, say, three times for three points, now there's, there's half your talk right there. The other, the other reason why I encourage speakers to have less content is because quite, quite uh, often you don't get the time that was actually allotted. Uh, been, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, John, you get 60 minutes and then you show up and there's some politician ahead of you or some <laughs> other speaker or they're running late. So you want to be flexible enough so that that's, if, you, if the 60 minutes becomes 45, you're still going to survive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always tell event planners, I can do this talk in 30 minutes or 90 minutes. You just let me know. <laughs> and you and do. And of course, you know, and you know that little trick, right, that every speaker should know. And that is, uh, and that is, you know, there's a couple of key points in your presentation. And you should yeah. know the number of that slide. Right. And then just silently reach over, punch. If, you, if your laptop is handy, punch the number of that slide and jump to that slide. And no one will know what's missing. Like I've. I've sometimes done that. I've jumped, I've cut out, you know, not a third, but an entire piece of my speech and just kept on going as if it was absolutely normal because it's really, really important, you know, that you finish exactly when you're promised to finish because you do not want to be the speaker that, that pushed the agenda back for the rest of the afternoon. So if you need to, if you need to skip stuff, skip it. Yeah. I like being that one that tells the event planner, I'll get you back on schedule. (laughs) Nice one. That's a great line. Yeah, Yeah. I like that. So, uh, We've all been to that talk where somebody delivered, and, and you know, everything I'm saying here, I've been guilty of, let's, we, let's face that. But we, you, you deliver this great talk, this great lesson, and then you get to the end and you kind of go, okay, that's all I have. Right, right, uh, that's all I got. And, yeah. and so then you, I don't know what percentage, but you lose probably 50% of your impact. Uh, so your last point there is end with a bang. So you really do right. have to have an intentional ending that is just as impactful as that opening, isn't it? You're right. And, you know, I used to finish with like a motivational quote. Yeah. It's just, it was a bummer. Like it was just sort of depressing because yeah. here, here, here we go from another dead white guy quote. <laughs> and so um, there's a couple of techniques. So first of all, in psychology, uh, you know, the concept of primacy and recency, right? So people are going to tend to remember the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie. Same thing with their speech. So they're going to remember the beginning of your speech when you told that great story, maybe had them laughing, had them leaning in. At the end, they're going to remember those last few minutes because they're hyper aware now. They they can smell the barn. They know they got to go to the bathroom. The coffee's brewing, or they got to catch you know their flight home. So 
the end should be really well orchestrated. It should be very scripted. And so one technique is looping. So for example, in the article I talk about, um, you know, I used to own a company that flew people to the South Pole. It's the world's only airline in all of Antarctica, still is to this day. And uh, so I would start the story at the beginning and then I would tease them and say, look, if we have enough time, I'll tell you how the story ends. And of course, they all groan. And then I would loop to the story at the end. Yeah. And I would say, hey, do you want to hear what happened at the South Pole? And then I tell them that story. But you don't have to go to Antarctica to do that. What you can do is you can also just close with a really gripper story where you had some revelation or you worked with someone that had some revelation using exactly what you taught. So you've held that back. It's in your pocket. You pull it out and you say, I want to share with you just one last story. And that story, if it's, if, it's, if it's something personal that you've been through, you'll have everybody's attention. Yeah, and I, you know, as I heard you talk about that, uh, you know, you're, you're the last thing that, you know, that's holding them back from X. You know, I, I've had at least half a dozen conferences I've spoken at where it's the end of the day and they wheel the, the uh, happy hour cart in to the back of the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I really, you know, better finish strong here because, you know, otherwise, right. uh, otherwise we're going to have mutiny. Yeah, it's yeah, between you and the open bar. <laughs> exactly, and so, exactly. so, so, you know, I really encourage speakers to have kind of like an inventory of great stories, great quotations, great lessons, maybe some facts and statistics. And so when you're in that final 12 hours and you're worried about that speech and you really want to make it great, that's when you can go into your inventory and say, okay, what's that great three-minute story that I know is a complete winner and I'm going to put that one in for this audience. And and you do not want to be trying to make the stuff at the last minute. So these are stories you've practiced. You know they work. You know pretty well exactly how long it takes to deliver them. And then you just basically piece them together. You know, you know one of the things I've learned over all these years is that, and I've presented now to over a thousand audiences, everything from you know the back of churches to on ships to tons of convention rooms. And what I've learned is that nobody really cares what you did yesterday. Nobody really cares really what your speech was like yesterday. All they care about is those 60 minutes. And those 60 minutes are, are, there's sort of a performance and it doesn't take a whole lot to really get the audience excited and to get them involved and to stand out. And, and the neat thing is you don't have to be theatrical. You don't have to be a comedian. You don't even have to be presenting anything that they don't already know. You just have to present it in a way that keeps them leaning in and keeps them wondering what's coming next. And when you start mastering a few of these little techniques, you'll, you'll absolutely stand out from the crowd and get rebooked. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a great point, whether or not you're, you know, want to be the keynote speaker at your industry's you know, major convention or you just want to be able to convince five people to take some action. You know, you don't have to master all nine of these points. Uh, these these take no. time. These take practice. These take rehearsal. These take falling on your face a few times. Uh, right. But but I think the the real reason I wanted to have you on um, and to, to kind of outline these is because um, for most speakers, especially if you're just getting started, do one or two of these things and you will you know double your game. Absolutely. Again, the audience the audience is not comparing you to what you did last time. So just yeah. just try it out. And I hear constantly speakers saying, "Oh, wow, Hugh, you know, I got them to stand up and talk to the next person, you know, and yeah. and, and and it completely changed it." Or I changed my story at the beginning, and it completely changed the energy for the rest of the hour. And so just try it, you know, uh, see, experiment with it. Uh, you know, I was learning John a couple of years ago how to ride the unicycle and. And uh, I thought, well, I'm in my 50s. That's exactly what we all should be doing. <laughs> and so I, uh, and I totally failed. And I was, it was so frustrating. The whole summer, first summer, I had a little bet going with my youngest daughter. 
neither one of us could pull it off. And then I watched this one YouTube video and and at the end of the video, the beginning of the video was all the same stuff, you know, do this, do this. And, and uh, I thought, well, yeah, I've heard all that before. But then at the end, he said, always be making a different mistake. Mm-hmm. And, and that actually literally that afternoon was what got me to, to ride the unicycle because I just went outside. I, I had some boards and I held them in my hands and I hobbled my way to the end of the block. But at that moment, I actually experienced riding. And then from that point on, I just got better and better. And that's this idea of just make a different mistake. Don't, don't worry about it being perfect. It's okay if you make a little mistake. But the idea is you're moving ahead. You're moving ahead. And any, any good speaker is constantly experimenting and then learning from what worked and, and also learning from their mistakes. Well, I do think one of the things that, uh, that you know, you mentioned Michael Port at the, at the beginning of this. And uh, or I can't remember if we were on right. the air or not, but uh, a, a mutual friend, good friend of mine, does a lot of training. And, and you know, I, need, I hear him all the time talking about how many hours he rehearses for a major presentation. And I, I do think that's one thing that not enough speaker trainer people are saying is this, you know, this takes work. Well, it does. You know, I, 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 and I'm seeing actually Michael in a week. I'm, I'm going to be joining him at his camp uh, in Fort Lauderdale. But, you know, the, um, when speakers recognize that they're, the amount that you actually get paid in this yes, industry, that's right. uh, you know, uh, that, that for uh, maybe 30 to 40 times a year, you can earn a huge income as a speaker by speaking 30, 40 times a year. It deserves a that's lot of attention. Right. It deserves a lot of preparation. And, uh, the fact that you pulled it off last time and you got an applause, well, they're going to applause. They're going to applaud anybody. Everybody's going to get some applause. The, the difference is, did you get booked again? And um, and if you're not trying to be a professional speaker and do it for a fee, well, then th- the difference is, did you get any kind of business out of this again? Did you any, get any right. kind of media attention? Did you get? Did you grow your mailing list? Did you did you sell something? Did, so. Um, you know, it's easy to blame the audience. Ah, oh, they weren't great. They were, you know, they were tired. It was in the. That's that's just an excuse for not actually putting in the time to get a little bit better. Yeah, although I will say that that I have spoken in a couple of conferences where people had to be there to get continuing education credits, and that's a tough audience. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. And and at the same time, they're human. They're absolutely human. They still respond to funny, you know, yeah, funny stories. Absolutely. They still respond to. Uh, they still respond to activities. Yeah, yeah. You know, I. You're, I've you're never right. In some ways, they, in some ways, they're more willing to be entertained. <laughs> oh, they're they're desperate. They're <laughs> desperate, right? They need that little card filled in. Yeah, that's and, right. You know, it, that, and that that's actually funny in itself. Let's yeah. just t- let's yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, the yeah. fact that you know you don't want to be here, right? So let's make this as enjoyable as possible. Yeah. And people are all well, you know, everybody's a human, and at the end of the day, they respond to the same sort of stimulus and. It's actually really fun just to experiment and say, okay, I wonder how at this point in my talk, which normally people fall asleep at, how can I actually make this more interesting and make it, you know, and here's one thing, John, and this is kind of a golden rule in speaking is, and it's counterintuitive, the more you make the audience work, the more they love you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and if you're doing all the work on stage, you're doing all the humor, all the theater, and all the props, and all this goofy stuff, and changing your clothes or whatever goofy <laughs> stuff you're doing, you're you're not you're not going to be memorable. You're going to be a little piece of entertainment. And but if you make the audience actually do some work, they actually are going to find you more valuable, more memorable. Um, you know, and they're probably going to say that's the kind of person I want to bring to my event. 
Well, so right here delivered at the end of your talk, probably the price of admission right there in that one little tip. So, um, hey, Hugh, what are people going to find at HughCulver.com if they go? Well, sure. Thanks, John. So uh, head over to HughCulver.com, so H-U-G-H-C-U-L-V-E-R. And there's some actually some videos in my resource section. They're all available, and they'll show you some techniques I use on stage. They'll show you how I get organized as a speaker. Uh, we have our boss program coming up March, March and April with Michael Port, actually. And that's a really great way for speakers to learn over eight weeks uh, how to actually build a business of speaking. And that's all available on that site. Great. Well, um, Hugh, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully we'll see you out there on the road. I, I actually uh, did a, uh, a little uh, workshop at Michael's uh, original Hero Speaking uh, um, I saw that. last year. Yeah, he, he, yeah. he shared that video. Um, I even did a, a world fam- now world famous um, impersonation of him. So I don't, I don't know if you watched to the end. Uh, that there's a little treat on the end of that video. Okay, I got to go check that out. Thanks for that, John. And <laughs> uh, hey, by the way, I'm a fan of your podcast. I'm really enjoying listening to it. Oh, thanks so much. All right.